Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. One of the things I remember from my bedroom when I was a child was I had this dresser over in the corner of the room, and, um, and you know, all your clothes there or whatever, but on the top of the dresser, you always got to figure out what goes there, and for me, what went there was trophies. So whenever I would be on a team and we won something, I would get a trophy, so I would have these, you know, like visual representations of my life's worth. Uh, you know, on top of this dresser in my room. And it was like these accomplishments. So it was like, oh, you got your soccer team got second place. You got a trophy. And your baseball team was first place. You got a trophy. And you were, got third place in the spelling bee and you got a trophy. And I, I think I'm old enough that we weren't given those just for participating. But I might be misremembering that. There may have been some participation ones in there as well. But for the most part, there was these trophies there. And I think the dark side of that would be it taught a child at a young age that your worth is determined by how much you can accomplish and accumulate and that you can have this sort of visual representation of like, look, this is how good you are. You have these things. Uh, And maybe I learned that at an early age. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think a lot of us learned at an early age that uh, our worth has to be shown visually or it has to be proved in some way. We have to come up with ways to prove that we're worth it. It, it actually starts when we're really young, when we learn how to be a good boy or girl for our parents. Uh, and we go, we, we're like, I'm worthy of, of their love. We kind of, we may not say that out loud, but we'll try to prove it in certain ways. We'll try to prove how worthy we are to our teacher. If I get these grades, then I'm a, then I'm a good student. Um, and that goes through, that kind of follows us through life. There are these moments where we try to prove that we're worth it, that we're worthy. Um, if, you look at your, if you look at a dating profile on, on Match or, or one of those, you know, there's the, the, all the things on the dating profile are set up to show that you're worth it. You know, they're like, look, I'm a fan of The Office. See, I have a sense of humor. And I like hiking. See, I'm outdoorsy and athletic, kind of, you know, or whatever. Like, the things we put on there are all ways of saying, I'm worth it. And, and don't you see that? We do this with employment, right? We go to a, a job and we have a resume and, and, and we, we talk to employers and we go like, look, I'm worth it. Look at, look at all the ways that I'm worth it. This is my, this is my trophy table of accomplishments and, and this is what value I'm going to bring to the company. This is how my worth is proven. And even as adults, we're still trying to prove to our parents that we're worth it, Right? There's like, some of, your, some of us are in counseling for this, right? Because we're still trying to tell mom and dad that I'm worth it. It's like, look, look, mom and dad, I drive a good car now. Look, mom and dad, my children are turning out reasonably well. Look, mom and dad, see, I went on a great vacation. Like, still trying to prove our worth to those folks, um, even way into adulthood. And I think we do this with religion, too. We, we do these things of, I've got to prove that I'm worth it. And these are big questions we ask. Um, Is there a God? Does he care about me? Am I a good person? Am I doing the right thing? How would I even know? Am I I one of the good people in the world? These sorts of questions. We don't necessarily ask them out loud, but they're there in the back of our mind. And we even approach faith and religion. We sort of approach that with this worthiness question of like, am I I worth it? I, I see people come into church with sort of two different approaches. Some people come into church, and maybe this is you today. You're here 
because somebody invited you to be here. And really, if, we're, if you were to be honest, if you could say the quiet part out loud to your friend or to anyone, maybe your feeling is, this is kind of beneath me. Like, organized religion's not my thing. Um, and, and, and in some ways, you're saying, like, my time is worth more than being part of this, but I'll hear to appease a friend or we'll go to lunch or whatever, but I'll just do this one thing. And in some ways you say like, I'm more worthy than this, like this is, this is beneath me. Or uh, what, I, what I run into maybe even more common is a lot of people feel unworthy to be part of a Christian community of some kind because they feel like, um, man, I've really messed up and I've blown it and I've hurt people. And if they only knew these things about me, they wouldn't even want me to be in their church. You know, we kind of have that sort of attitude. And we feel very unworthy to be involved in anything that involves morals or religion or God or church, any of that kind of stuff. And so there's this sense where we feel too worthy, we feel unworthy. And if Christians and churches have made you feel that way, I'm sorry. Cause I, and, I, and I get that. I understand how that can happen. Um, I want to point you to the God of grace, because I think there's something here for you, and I, and I think worthiness, and, and that, am I good enough, and all that kind of stuff, I, I think that can be actually approached a different way, and I think there's something very good we can learn here from God, and, and hopefully it'll help undo some of the bad things we've learned along the way. Um, Luke chapter 7, we've been following Jesus around as he walks around the Sea of Galilee teaching people. And we come to the beginning of chapter 7 this week, and he has a conversation with uh, a guy, and uh, it, it very much centers around worthiness. Uh, so I want to read it to you, Luke 7. We'll start with uh, verse 1. Let me just read you a couple verses. And after he had finished all his sayings and the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. All right, a couple things. Jesus has been teaching around the Sea of Galilee. He goes back to Capernaum. He's already been at Capernaum. We've talked about it in weeks past. This is a fishing village on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. This is where Peter was from. Jesus cast out a demon in the synagogue there. He, there's a miraculous catch of fish out, just outside of Capernaum. Uh, there's all that sort of going on. This is kind of home base for him in his teaching around the sea. He always ends up back at, at Capernaum. And so he goes up there, and there is a Roman centurion who wants to, wants to see Jesus. Now, when you hear Roman centurion and when Luke is, is mentioning that this centurion is there, um, you have to understand that for that audience hearing this in the first century, this, this centurion equals not Jewish. He's not one of us. He's not an Israelite. He's not our people. The Romans conquer Israel like they conquered a whole bunch of the ancient world. And then they set up an army to rule over the people. And they set up governors and prefects and all these people. And the conquering army, people like centurions, are leaders over soldiers. And so the Jewish attitude towards these guys is not good. They don't like them. Like, think about how much we would like if someone conquers our country and then sets up rulers around and, and various military. I mean, you see that all over in the history of the world when someone gets invaded and conquered. The, the, the occupying military is there and people resent them. And they just hate them. And that's how people would have felt about the centurion. The Jews would have felt that about the centurion. Well, what we know about the centurion, so he's not Jewish. He's, he's this Roman, they would have considered like a pagan, right? He's this Roman guy, and he's got a servant who's really not doing well. And it says that the servant is highly valued by him. Now, 
at our most cynical, we would read that as slave. And we would say, well, of course the slave is highly valued by the centurion. That's, the, that's, his, that's his free help. Like, of course he values him. That, that's, that's the help. That's all. And, and we read it sort of that way. But that's not necessarily the case. In the first century, indentured servitude is a, is a thing. Um, you didn't have credit cards to go into debt, so you could voluntarily enter uh, something like slavery to work for someone to pay off debts, possibly. Um, so maybe there's something like that going on. And maybe this guy values him for his financial worth to this guy, but maybe it's also possible that the centurion values this servant, highly values him, because he, does, he just likes the guy. He just, has, he, he just thinks this is someone that's important. And he cares about him. There, 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 is, uh, there is precedent for that kind of thing in the ancient world. So we see that. Verse 3, see what happens. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. All right, so the centurion knows Jesus is a rock star rabbi. He's heard of Jesus. If he's around Capernaum, he probably heard about it when Jesus went to that synagogue and cast out demons. Or maybe he was there kind of observing from the outside. Or he heard about Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, different things that had gone on around there. So he knows here's this rock star rabbi, religious guy who can heal people. And he, and he goes, I need to talk to him. But he doesn't go himself. He sends elders of the Jews. So he's sort of like, hey, you guys are religious too, right? Can you go talk to the other religious guy and get him, like, can you, like, put in a good word for me? Like, you're cool with him because you're Jews also. Can I be cool by association? Like, I'm, I know you guys. You guys go talk to him. So these elders of the Jews, the religious people of that day, they go talk to Jesus. And notice what they say about this guy. They're like, Jesus, you should come heal the centurion. You should heal this guy, and you should heal his servant. Come do this for us. Here's why. Here's why he's worth your time. He's worth it because he's good to our people and our nation. In fact, when we built the synagogue a while back and we did that whole thing, he helped. Like, he, he didn't have to. He just pitched in. He's, I know there's bad Romans. He's one of the good ones. That's the appeal. They make it. And so, notice this. Worthiness is based on what this guy has done. He's done some good things. This guy has a whole dresser of trophies, and, and, and these, they all come to tell Jesus about it. Now, Jesus may not agree with that, but he goes along with them and says, fine, I'll go with you. So verse 6, and Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not pressure, I, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. So the religious leaders of the day show up to Jesus and they say, this guy is worthy because he's done these good things. Jesus gets close, this guy sends out friends and they say, and they pass on this message, the, the, the centurion saying, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of you, religious leader, rock star, rabbi guy. I'm not worthy to have you come under my, my roof. In fact, here's what you could do. Just say a word and heal my servant from a distance. 
Now, how does he know Jesus can do that? Well, he's, he's been around. He's, he's hearing the stories. He's, he's seen some things. He, you know, Peter's mother-in-law, the synagogue, the, the, the casting out of the demons, that kind of stuff. So he sees all that, and he goes, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy. I think you can just do this from a distance. And, then he, and his justification is this. Look at verse 8. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. This guy, the way he pieces this all together is he's thinking from his frame of reference as a military guy. And he goes, look, I have authority over people. I, I can tell soldiers where to go and what to do, and I can tell servants, and I know what that's like. And when you tell them, they go do what you need them to do. I recognize you, Jesus, as someone who has that kind of authority, but over sickness, over nature, over demons, the spiritual world. I see you having that kind of authority too. So my, my guess is you can just say something, and this is going to work. One thing I love about this is the centurion is not a... Re- that we know of is not a religious guy. This isn't like a person who studied the scriptures his whole life and now he's just really pieced all together and he understands who Jesus is. This is effectively an outsider, a Gentile. He's an outsider. And what I love about that is sometimes it takes outsiders to see things clearly and and to get things that the religious insider people are missing. And I hope that's encouraging to you because if you feel like an outsider to the faith, man, Come on in. Like, sometimes you bring incredible insight to things from your experience that are really profound and really helpful. And so that's what this guy, this guy does, drawing on his military experience. He, he's not the most religious guy, but he's the new guy, and sometimes it's the new guy who gets it. Verse 9 and 10, apparently Jesus is impressed by this also. Listen, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, Not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So a crowd of religious people is always following Jesus and trying to figure out how to be more Jewish and more closer to God. And he looks at all of those people and he's like, man, this guy. I haven't seen faith in any of you fools. (laughs) Like, not like this guy. He's incredible. It says he marvels at him. Now, that would have been hard for them to hear. The most religious people, and you tell them, you guys don't even get it. This guy who's not religious, he gets it. He's got real faith. It's it's profound. And the servant gets healed from a distance. As they go back, they find out, okay, he's, he's, he's been healed. All right, a couple thoughts. Um... A couple ideas to to pull from this, I think. Number one is this. You do not make yourself worthy or unworthy by external behaviors. I should probably repeat that. (laughs) You do not make yourself worthy or unworthy by external behaviors. Our worthiness before God is not defined that way, which means you can be a good person. You can be the last person to refill the coffee pot at work. You can clean up after someone. You can clean up after the dog. You can clean up after other people's dogs. You can um, help your friends. You can be kind. You can say nice things. You can support really 
good causes. You can work hard at your job. You can attend church. You can pray. These are all good things, but they don't make you righteous. This was the appeal of the elders. This guy did good things, but it's not doing the good things that makes you righteous or makes you worthy. And I think we need to hear this because some of us believe that we are right because we support the right things and we align ourselves with the right causes and we change our avatar to support the latest thing on social media. That's the important thing. And we show people that we are good people because we, we do and we support the good kind of right stuff. And then at the other end, we have people who feel incredibly unworthy because of what they've done. And there's a lot of that inside, outside the church. There's people who feel like, I've cheated, I've sinned, I've hurt people, I've burned it down with relationships, I have done people wrong. There are people who are like, I am a story that other people tell, right? There's people who tell stories about what it was like to be around me, and they're not good. We, we, we feel that, we, we blow it, and we have this sense of, I've blown it, and there's no way to be good again. I, I can't. I can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. And look, your story may be bad. You may have done some awful things. Last year, five years ago, last month, yesterday. There may be a whole lot of things in your story up until today that you're like, yeah, this is awful. And, and that's going to make you feel unworthy. I don't know about this God thing. I'm, I'm a mess. And I just want to say to you, try reading this book because it is not a hall of fame of really good people book. It's not that kind of book. Moses, famous Moses, big deal in the history of the world. He killed a guy. Not, not so great. Abraham, the father of three religions. Surely he's like one of the greatest of all time. Abraham tried to pimp out his wife. David, David, the king, man after God's own heart, wrote a bunch of the Old Testament, wrote Psalms, sing all these songs, and he's honoring God and he's praying and all this stuff. And, you know, incredible. David has, sleeps with a guy who's not his, sleeps with a girl who's, who's not his, is someone else's wife, and then has that guy killed. Adultery and murder, that's David. Peter spends three years hanging out with Jesus, walking around this lake with him, so close to him. Could, you, couldn't have get, you couldn't get better teaching in the history of the world than Peter gets from being directly next to Jesus for three years. And at the end of that, as Jesus is getting crucified, Peter denies three times that he even knows Jesus. That's a pretty big, that's taking a big L right there, right? Paul uh, is a persecutor of the church. People, a guy who, who in his zeal for, for Judaism rounds Christians up and has them thrown in jail and later converts to this Jesus thing and ends up writing half the New Testament. Um, but he wasn't necessarily a great guy. My point is people have stuff, even the ones you look up to. Everybody's got stuff and, 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 and baggage and, and issues that, from our past. Some of them are things that happened to us and some of them are things we caused. And are, you're not worthy or unworthy to be before God based on all of those things. Our worthiness comes from faith. This is actually what Jesus marvels at. You read the New Testament, Jesus does not marvel 
at how rich somebody is. He does not marvel at how politically connected someone or how powerful they are. He doesn't marvel at what a great sense of humor they have or anything like that. The thing consistently that kind of blows Jesus' hair back and he's like, whoa, this, this guy, this girl, look at, look at them, notice them. It's faith. It, it's, it's, it's a powerful thing. And we're called to have faith because we enter a relationship with God through faith. And I know that's hard because we live in a very like empirical world. Like we have smartphones and the internet and we have uh, lots of amazing things that have been delivered into our hands and into our pockets from science. And that feels like the world, even though I don't actually know how a smartphone works and I don't understand the internet, at the end of the day, it's sciencey things. It is something binary with zeros and ones and, and there's some sort of like math involved and then there's like, I don't know, somebody uses calculus, I suppose. So there's, there's that happening out there somewhere and it all works together and it's very reasonable and it's very rational. It all comes together to, and it's, and it's very, um, it's, it's brilliant, right? And, and, and so we, we, we think that's just all, the, that's life. It's these things, it's incredible. But the truth is so much of life, even, even in that life, even amidst that, so much of it is faith. So much of it is trust in things that you can't see and things that you can't understand. Um, and, and that's hard. But our relationship with God is the same way. It is trust in someone that we can't see and can't always understand. Hebrews 11, cha- chapter 11, verse 6 says this, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is, um, it, 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 it's it's the connection to God. It's the way in. Why is that the case? I mean, God, if God wanted to be in a relationship with us, if he's all-powerful and we're not, and there's going to bridge that gap there and we're going to be in a relationship with our creator, he could have done it another way, right? Like, faith, why, why faith? We, he could have done a contract. Like, God could have shown up at your door at age I don't know, 21 or something, and been like, all right, are you with me or not? Let's sit down at the kitchen table. I've drawn up some things, and I'm going to have you sign here, here, and here, and, and now you're mine. You're with me. I'm God. You're my creation. We're together. You're my child. We're done. Contract. Could have done that. He didn't. He could have sent you an invite to be part of his team through an owl to your house at age 12. Like, he, he could have dropped that on you and been like, do you want to be with me? And you'd be like, yes. This is the way it works, God. No, he doesn't do that, any of that. What, what he does is invites you to know him through faith. He comes as Jesus. He comes to earth and walks earth. And then he had people write it down so we would know what happened way back when. And it's in print and available for us to see now so that we can I- interact with it thousands of years later. And, and we can know and, and, and we can read it and we can believe. But you have to have Faith, you have to trust in something you can't exactly be sure of. And the reason why faith and trust is so important there is because that's the way relationships work. It is. All relationships are built on some level of trust and faith. Like, I've been married 24 years. You would think I am completely certain that I am loved by my wife. I think I am. She tells me that I am. But do I actually know? Like there's concrete behaviors that I can observe that she does. So I'm like, okay, I think she loves me. She does these things or whatever. But I'm not in her head. 
I don't know. The relationships, this is the way they work. You, you have some level of faith and trust in the unseen and the unknown. And the same way our loving relationships with each other rely on faith, it's the same thing with God. We trust him and we have faith in him even though we don't know how it all works and it's not always concrete. So we, we enter a relationship through God the same way, through faith, which means we give our lives to him, we're baptized in him, we're actually water baptized into, into Christ, which is a step we take by faith and go, I trust in you, I'm gonna follow you, you're gonna wipe my sins away, I'm gonna start fresh, and we are born again. That, that, that's what happens in, in baptism, and he will um, make us righteous, and he will make us worthy by faith. But not just any faith. Number two is this. It's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that matters. You can believe things very strongly, really trust in ideas, and they can be terribly wrong. Hitler believed in things very strongly, and a lot of people died because of what he believed in. It matters what we believe in. And I know we live in a pluralistic society, so there's a lot of ideas out there, a lot of ideas and ideologies, and there's a lot of competing ideas. And we used, to, we used to argue about them. We used to, you know, if your idea is different than my idea, it'd be like, well, um, I'm going to try to make my case better, and I'm going to sort of learn to debate better, and I'm going to have a more winsome argument. I'm going to try to win you over with my ideas, and then you would try to do the same thing on yours. And, and, and that's how we did it. We would try to have competing ideas and we'd try to get other people on our side. And I don't know when we stopped doing that, if we stopped teaching people how to do that. But we've sort of slipped into this postmodern thing now where like every idea is okay. And we kind of sidestep the truth by saying it's your truth or my truth. So we just sort of say like it's not the truth, it's just whoever owns what. And we, and we, we try to say with a straight face that competing ideas and, and opposing ideas are both true. We, we, try to, we try to say that, uh, that, that completely different worldviews are, that are opposite of each other are both completely good and true. And I think it's nonsense. Believing strongly is powerful and it matters what you believe in. Some ideas are better than others. But, but it matters how strong you believe in something, sure. Uh, strong belief gets orphans adopted in India by Mother Teresa, and it also gets buildings knocked down by airplanes in New York City. Yeah, strong beliefs matter, but it definitely matters what you believe, the object of where you are putting your faith. That's, That's the thing. Now, our culture says otherwise. Our culture will tell you that it doesn't matter what you believe in. The point is that you really believe. I saw this, and I and I hate to bag on this movie because it did a lot of good things. Okay, so the movie The Prince of Egypt came out in 1998. For DreamWorks to take on a biblical story and not completely mess it up is, is impressive. Like, so there's a lot about the movie that they get right. And it's, it's a little like, wow, they, I mean, they really went there. They went for a biblical story and they, they did it pretty well. But if you remember, and I remember this at the time, and I was just thinking of it as I was writing this, um, there was a uh, there's a song, it's kind of the song from the movie, When You Believe, and I just want you to notice what it says about belief um, in, in, in the story. So here's, here's verse one. Many nights we prayed with no proof anyone could hear. Okay, I, I can get along with that. In our hearts, a hopeful song we barely understood. Now we are not afraid, although we know there's much to fear. I like that. It's the definition of courage. Not, okay. We were moving mountains. Whoops, were we? Okay. Long before we knew we could, ooh, oh, yes. 
Here's the chorus. There can be miracles when you believe. Yes. Though hope is frail, it's hard to kill. Who knows what miracles you can achieve when you believe. Somehow you will. You will when you believe. Oh, oh, oh. Mm, yeah. I, I, again, all things considered, pretty, pretty good movie. But like, the story of the Exodus is not about what Moses was able to achieve because he believed in himself. It wasn't about what miracles the people were able to accomplish because they believed in themselves. The story of Moses is about God delivering people and hearing their cry and, and him performing miracles. That Red Sea's not gonna part by itself and it's not because Moses is just really impressive. Like, this is God's doing. And yet there's this little little. Even in a biblical story, there's this little cultural shift that says, no, what really matters is just how strong you believe. And if you're going to believe in anything, believe in yourself. That'll be the thing. And a lot of people believed in themselves and have done terrible things in the history of the world. It matters what we believe in. Um, believe in God. Put faith in him. Not in our own ability. Not put faith in Wall Street or a political party or a Supreme Court or capitalism. Our faith should be in Jesus. Why? Last piece, number three, because Jesus is worthy on your behalf. He's worthy in a way that you and I never can be. Paul says it cleanly in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him, talking about Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus who's sinless, God takes Jesus and puts him on the cross where he takes on our sin. He knows no sin himself, he takes on ours so that we can become righteous. Jesus is righteous and that is given to us. It is the great exchange. Jesus takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness so that we can stand before God. Our worthiness will not be, I did enough, I accomplished enough, I've made it, look how proud I made you, God. Our worthiness is not like that. Our worthiness is trust and faith in Jesus, and then he makes us right. We get his righteousness counted as our own. This, is, this should be incredibly good news because otherwise what we'll do is try to be worthy by supporting all the good causes, and, and you just can't do that on your own. You can't support enough things. You can't achieve enough things, and even if you do, even if you get a whole dresser full of trophies, at the end of the day, you're still going to have this nagging in your soul. Did I do enough? Is this right? Have I accomplished? Am I a good person? Am I good enough? And this is how we know we're good. That the creator of the universe, who knows every hair on your head, that creator looks at you and says, no, you, you can be worthy because you've placed your faith in me. So the challenge is this, and then we're done. Number one, um, if you're a Christian, uh, here, back up a second. I, I don't want to, yeah. So if you're not, I'm sorry, if you're not a Christian, the challenge would be this. Um, be baptized. Give your life to him and, and, and stop the striving to be worthy. Um, allow him to cover that gap for you and say, hey, hey I want to follow you. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to be in relationship with God. 
get baptized. You can write on your Tri-5 card you're interested in baptism. We'll talk to you. We can baptize you anytime. We have, we have water ready for that. And so uh, if you want to be baptized in this time of year, we could go down to the river, whatever you want to do. Like, let's give your life to him and get baptized into him. Um, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is, this is the way. This is the step. If you are a Christian, I want to ask you two questions. And really, these are questions to ask yourself. Uh, number one is this. Where are you still striving to prove that you're worthy? Where are you still striving to prove that you're worthy? I'm not saying don't do good things. Absolutely do good things. Give and serve and pray and, and all of the things. Um, grow in kindness. Grow in patience, peace, gentleness. We've talked about that in weeks past. Um, I'm just saying let's check the motives. Are you doing good things in order to prove to yourself or to others that you're worthy? Are you, are, you, are you in this headspace of, I'm going to do this and then I'll be good enough? Or is it happening because you have accepted that God has made you worthy and it's flowing out of that? You're going, man, I'm just going to do this out of love because God has first loved me. Does it come from the overflow? So where are you still striving to prove that you're worthy? And then there's this question, the faith piece. Where do you need to live by faith now? Because if I say to you, live by faith that can be very, like, heady. Oh, yeah, I live by faith. I mean, like, I pray and I read some things sometimes. I go to church. Like, I live by faith. But that's not what faith feels like. Like, faith feels risky. It's got to have that, that, that tinge of, oh, oh, I gotta, I'm going to have to step out here. Let me give you an example where, where faith is hitting me right now. Um, and and this will be one to make everybody comfortable in the room. Money. The topic of money is a faith topic. It is a heart topic for people, especially right now. Because um, I I, I, I say, okay, I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to trust God. And so what I have done, what we have done in our family, is we've committed to give away at least 10% of our income. So every month I take... Uh, it's about 11 or 12% at this point, but we take money that we made and we take uh, the percentage of that and we give it to the church because we believe that we honor God by giving money away and we want to be generous people and we want to not spend every dollar that we get and we want to fight against greed and all that. So we do that. Uh, and in, in normal times, that's not hard to do. It's, it's, you get used to it. Um, it's a large check in comparison to all the things except for like your mortgage or whatever. Like it's, it's okay, that's a lot of money, but whatever. You get used to it, um, and in normal times, it's okay. It, it doesn't freak you out, whatever. But when you have whatever percentage inflation we're at right now, and gas costs a lot, and food costs go up, and ev- the cost of everything goes up, and you start seeing your budget sort of grow in all of these other areas of your life, it's, it, it gets tight, Right? It gets stressful. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, you, you're, you're living this too. Now, some of you uh, financially are, so, are doing so well that you don't feel that, that tight pressure. And that's, that's good for you. I'm not begrudging that at all. Like, that's great. Uh, but, but others, it's like, man, I, I don't know. Like, this is not looking good. And the temptation here would be for me or for any of us to go, I'm not going to give generously to the church or anything 
because um, it's just tight right now. And God wants, God helps those who help themselves. One of those things we say that's not in the Bible. But we say it, you know. And God wants me to take care of me, and I'd be irresponsible if I don't, and I got I gots to eat, and I got to, and, and I get all of that. I get, I get that temptation, and I get that pressure. Um, but I also think this is where, this is the point where faith is challenged. We made a commitment as a family to give money away. And you make your commitments, and then you have to allow your commitments to make you, to shape what you actually do. And when you do that, you're stepping out in faith. Is it risky? Kind of, yeah. Is it scary? It can be. There's, there's fear in all of this. But, but the challenge is to continue to be generous as a step of faith. That's what faith feels like. It's not just a head thing, but it's like, a, no, I'm going to take action with this and do something. And that can be um, re- really, really scary. Um, I, I, hard times when, when things get rough as a culture, when financially you lose a job, a relationship breaks up, whatever, when you go through hard times, the reality is hard times are good times to learn to practice faith and trust. It's in those hard moments that we, that we look to God and go, help me, I, I, I need to lean on you. Um, the, the, the roots will go deeper during the drought. And I think maybe this is that kind of time for you. And maybe, just maybe, God's going to use this time and this season to drive your roots even deeper and to, and to be able to draw from resources you didn't even know were there. I, I, it's my hope and prayer that as we live by faith, this season deepens all of us. Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to live by faith. Um, it doesn't, I think if we're honest, a lot of times we don't, we say we want to live by faith, but we don't really. We want to live by certainty. We want to live by 401ks and health plans and secure jobs and secure industries. And we want to live by, um, you know, all the things that we can control. And even in the modern world, life doesn't necessarily work that way. And so, God, I pray that um, in the dry season that we dig the roots even deeper, that we go down and search you out more, that we um, live by faith even more. God, I, I thank you for making us worthy, that we don't have to, that we're not too good for you and that we're not good enough, but, but that you give us righteousness. You make us right on the cross. Um, I, I thank you for that, that, that we can know you and be in relationship with you. Uh, in your son's name we pray, amen.